This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. For more information, check out fpchurch.tv. If you would, would you please grab your Bibles and turn with me to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. If you did... Oh yeah, children are dismissed to their classes. And while the children are, go, are going to their classes, uh, please take your Bibles. If you, if you weren't able to bring a Bible today, there are pew, uh, Bibles in the pew in front of you. So I would encourage you to grab one and turn with me to Luke 24. We will be reading in verses 36 through 49. Luke 24, verses 36 through 49. Hear now the word of the Lord. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself? Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and blood flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Good morning. He is risen, right? And as we say that, we are saying something that the ancient church would actually greet each other with was that response, that call and that response. He is risen, he is risen indeed. And just as we get to the story of the resurrection this morning, let's take some time to go to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, we come before you, and Lord, as we gather in this place, we are thankful. We're thankful for the good news of Jesus Christ. We're thankful that your Son came in human flesh, that he lived and walked amongst us, that he willingly went to a tree to die for our sins. We're thankful, Lord, the fact that he did go to that tree and paid for all the wrongs that we have done as we place our faith in him and trust him completely to have covered our sins. And yet, Lord, we know that the power of the resurrection is the good news as it shows that the victory has been won and that there is nothing left for us to pay. And so, Lord, we come with thankful hearts as we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Lord, we come to this place, and if we're honest, there are many of us that we're struggling. We're struggling spiritually with doubts and our own fears. We pray that you would speak to us this morning. There's some of us, Lord, that we're coming and our bodies are failing us, the, the physical grind of day-to-day life and just the reality that death awaits each and every one of us, Lord. We, we come ailing and in need, and so we come seeking you for hope and peace. There's some of us, Lord, who are gathered here and we're struggling emotionally. We're, we're feeling alone and we feel desperate. And so, Lord, we come asking you to minister to us today. And we know, Lord, that the power of the resurrection is the power to deal with all of those needs, spiritual, physical, and emotional, the whole being of who we are. And so we are thankful for the good news. And Lord, I pray that you would do your good work in us through your word, that you would do as you said, that you would change us. I pray that you would conform us more and more to the image of your beloved Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would protect my words, that I would not say anything more nor less than you've given me to say. God, that I would be faithful to your word this morning. We pray this believing that you will do even better than we know how to ask or pray. Pray these things in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. I love detective stories. Um, I have the whole collection of Sherlock Holmes, and, and when I'm just reading for fun, that's usually what you find me reading is a different story, a different adventure of Sherlock Holmes. I love to watch those old reruns of Columbo, you know, the guy in the trench coat. I, I can't get enough of Columbo. And there's something about detective stories. There's something about watching a master at work as they gather evidence to prove their case. In fact, one of the unique things about Sherlock Holmes is in that series written by Sir Arthur Doyle, you guys know who I'm talking about, uh, it was that he was actually ahead of his time. I don't know if you knew this, but as he wrote the stories of, of Sherlock Holmes, what actually what he's doing is he was using science to crack cases, and that actually influenced modern forensic science today. It's pretty astounding to see the impact an author was able to have. As we come to our text this morning, we see the story of the resurrection and we see the importance of that resurrection. And we see it as important because Jesus is doing something here in our text. Jesus is making sure his disciples have all the evidence they need so that they can be witnesses. Understand what's taking place. Jesus is making sure they get all the evidence they need so that they can be faithful witnesses of him. And that's our calling this morning, is to be a faithful witness of Jesus. So my belief is that what is here in this text, what Jesus is doing for his disciples, he's actually doing still for us today as he's showing us his will. See, as any good detective, we need to review the story, don't we? And go back many, many, many centuries. We know of a Jesus, a Messiah, who was long promised to come. And we're told in the scriptures, in the gospels, that he walked amongst his people. We're told that he was one who had authority and actually amazed his people by what he said. We can read that in Matthew 7. We're told that this Jesus actually gave sight to the blind, that he caused the the lame to walk, that he enabled the deaf to hear, and that he actually even made lepers clean. 
We read all that in Matthew chapter 11. But then we're told that this same Jesus actually was able to raise his dead friend Lazarus from the grave. And the old King James says that Lazarus was so long in the grave that he stinketh. I love that. Not that he stinketh, but just the sound of it, right? He, he, he stinketh. And the Lord waited, and then the Lord appeared, and he gained, came to that graveside, and he called his friend Lazarus to come forth. And we're told in John chapter 11 that Lazarus came out of that grave. See, Jesus proved who he was as the Messiah by what he did and what he said. And what's interesting is that many people hated him for that very reason. When Jesus called Lazarus out of the grave, there was now plots to kill him, to get rid of him, because many people were beginning to believe in him. So you had a situation where many hated, and yet many were beginning to believe. And those who were believing were actually called his disciples. Jesus had told his disciples many times why he came. He said, I come to die. But his disciples didn't really understand, did they? For when the time actually came for Jesus to die, what happened? Most of the disciples fled, and one were even told denied him. And they were at a loss seeing the one in whom they had placed their hopes taken away, beaten, and crucified. These disciples were left confused and full of fear. And then word was brought by faithful women who got up early in the morning to go and tend to the body of their Savior. That when they arrived at the tomb, the tomb laid empty. And so the women who were faithful came back to the disciples just as they were told, and they tell them, the tomb where Jesus was laid is empty. But then we're told in Luke 24, verse 11, but these words seem to be an idle tale. The disciples just couldn't believe it. They couldn't wrap their minds around it. And yet in the midst of that, we're told Peter the denier got up and he ran to the tomb only to be outrun by a younger John. Arriving, Peter stoops down and he looks in and eventually goes in and he sees the linen cloth in which was, Jesus was wrapped, but he sees that now the, the linen cloth is laying there with no body in it. It lies empty. And we're told Peter and John went home marveling at what happened, but they still were not understanding. And then we're told in John chapter 20, verse 19, that the disciples gathered in a room and they locked the door. And we're told they locked the door out of fear for the Jews. They were confused. They were fearful. They were afraid. And friends, this is exactly where our text picks up. It picks up with the reports of the resurrection. Now, you kind of wish you could be a fly in the wall of that room where the disciples locked themselves. You, you kind of wish you could just hear the conversation that was ensuing, the discussion that was being had. I'm sure there was lots to discuss. The, a lot had transpired. Verse 36 says they were all talking about all these things. And they were consumed with the idea of what is taking place. Can you just imagine the conversation? Can you imagine the, the back and forth? Can you imagine the questions, the murmuring, the wondering? The door is locked for fear of the Jews, and they're discussing through whispers all sorts of data. See, reports started coming back, didn't they? Reports of a risen Savior. 
Some had even seen and talked to this risen Savior. Like Mary Magdalene, who thought she was talking to the gardener. Or Cleopas and his friend who walked with the risen Lord on the Emmaus Road. In fact, it's their testimony where the historic phrase, He is risen indeed, comes from. Luke chapter 24, verse 34, it's right there. He is risen indeed, they said. Or how about Peter and John who saw the empty tomb? All these reports, all this data needed to be sorted through as the disciples met in a locked room full of conflict. There was despair mixed with hope. There was worry mixed with believing. And then suddenly, no knock on the door, no door in fact opening, suddenly we're told Jesus appears. Look at verse 36. Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace to you. In that moment, in that second, everything changed. The conversation stopped. It kind of always stops when Jesus enters a conversation, doesn't it? You could be having a conversation about somebody, about something, and all of a sudden you start to interject Jesus and conversation stops. So this wasn't anything new that the conversation stopped the minute Jesus spoke, but they're amazed Jesus is there. And what does Jesus say? peace. Now this isn't just any old type of peace. This is, this is the shalom of scripture. This is what Jesus offers. This, this peace isn't even just peace between neighbors. This is the peace between God and men. In fact, what's amazing about Jesus' first words as the risen Lord to the group as a whole, to the, to the congregation gathered in that room about being peace is that Jesus, we're told by the angels, came to bring peace on earth. That's what was foretold about him. He came to bring peace on earth. And when Jesus was doing his ministry and, and spending time with his disciples, listen to what he said in John 14, 27. He says, peace I leave you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Peace, Jesus came to bring peace. And now Jesus says to the assembled, scared disciples, peace. Jesus appears proclaiming peace, peace with God. A peace he has purchased by his blood. A peace he offers the denier. A peace he offers the doubter. A peace he offers all types of sinners. Friends, this is the peace Jesus offers you this morning. The risen Lord offers us this shalom, peace with God. This is good news, and this is the good news that the resurrection brings. The question is, how have you responded to this good news? How have you personally responded to the good news that Jesus brings peace? That Jesus is resurrected, he is alive, he has defeated death, he's paid for your sins. How have you responded to that good news? Verses 37 and 38, Jesus continues to speak because the people, the disciples, are startled and afraid. Look what it says. But they were startled and afraid, and they thought they saw a spirit. And he said, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your heart? Jesus is basically saying, why, why are you worried? Friends, couldn't you say that to us this morning? 
the tribulations that we face, the disturbances we experience in the world, couldn't Jesus just say that to us? Why are you worried? Why are you afraid? It's peace. It's peace that I offer you. It's peace that I bring you. So to prove that they have no reason to trouble or to worry, Jesus says, let me give you some physical proofs. First thing we see is Jesus commands them to see and to touch. Look at verses 38 and 39. He says, see my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. Jesus is offering himself as proof. Look at me. Look at my hands and feet. Look at the holes. Look at the wounds. Wounds for you. Look. And it's not enough to look, touch, feel, embrace. For spirits do not have flesh and bone as I have. Jesus is offering physical evidence, isn't he, of the reality of the resurrection, of victory that he provides. Friends, this is not the only time that Jesus will appear to the disciples. We're told over 40 days he appears to them many times to encourage them and to strengthen them. See, this is why the Apostle Paul points out that without the resurrected body, we have no hope. He says in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, if Christ has not been risen, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. But here's the good news, Paul is saying. He is bodily resurrected. So if you're in Christ, you're not in your sins. You're freed. Peace is yours. And yet to prove this yet further, what does he do? Jesus eats. Jesus actually says in verses 40 through 43, and when he had shown them his hands and his feet, and while they still were disbelieving for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything to eat? They gave him a piece of boiled fish. He took it and he ate it before them. Jesus didn't need the food. Jesus wasn't hungry. He did it for them. Jesus was proving he had a real body. There's an interesting phrase there. They were disbelieving for joy. Have you ever been at a football game and there's a last-second touchdown or a basketball game, there's a last-second basket, and your team wins and you just sit there stunned? That's kind of the idea that's captured there in the disbelieving for joy. They don't know what to make of this. Is this real? Did it really happen? Is the victory really ours? And Jesus says, give me a piece of, of fish. I'm going to show you the victory's yours. I'm going to show you the peace that I've provided. See, the bodily resurrection matters because it's proof of the victory Jesus has. And it's proof of the victory we have. Do you believe that this morning? The bodily resurrection matters. Jesus is called the first fruits of the resurrection. His resurrection will be our resurrection. Friends, that's the hope we're to have. Listen to what Paul writes again in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In verse 20 he says, But in fact Christ has been raised from the dead. He's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep or those who are dead. For as by one man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For in Adam all die, but in Christ we all rise. The question is, do we believe this good news? Do we truly believe the peace and the hope that Jesus provides in the resurrection? Friends, your life isn't one of a defeatist. It's one who is a conqueror. You're an overcomer, Paul says in Romans 8. 
Not because of who you are, but because of who Christ is and what Christ has done. This is why they shouldn't be disbelieving. This is why they shouldn't be troubled. This is why they shouldn't be afraid, and neither should we. Yet Jesus, in kindness, had a ministry that was filled with word and deed. He said things and he did things to prove his Messiahship. And so now Jesus will do the same. He's physically revealed himself, but now he also will speak from the word of God. Notice Jesus gives his own words in verse 44. He says, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Jesus is saying, I already told you all this stuff, but I want you to know it. I want you to know it. Jesus is stressing that all that has happened to him was told to them. Jesus is stressing that he's been consistent. Jesus is stressing that nothing that has happened is outside the plan of God, but was all working out the plan of God. In fact, he's saying, this has been the plan from the very beginning. All of the Old Testament, the law, the prophets, and the Psalms taught about this. Remember the law, Moses? Book of Exodus, chapter 12, talked about a Passover lamb and the blood that had to be smeared over the doorway so the angel of death would pass by. We're told that Jesus is that lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Or how about in the book of the prophets, prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 53 talked about a suffering servant. What was it about that suffering servant? He was one who was numbered with our transgressions. Jesus would go to the cross with our sins. Or how about the Psalms? Psalm 22 gives us a deep description of one dying of crucifixion even before the cross was ever invented. It perfectly describes Jesus' experience as the soldiers are gambling for his clothes. In each of these, we're given a picture of the suffering Christ would endure for our sake. All the while teaching us that Jesus came to crush the head of the serpent. Wasn't that the very first promise God gave in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, following the fall of Adam? Grace. Victory, salvation, that's what Jesus came to do. And Jesus is showing them from his word how this has always been taught. But they can't seem to understand. They can't seem to get it. Their eyes seem to be covered. And so we're told in verse 45, God does something absolutely amazing. It says, and then he, Jesus, opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He opened their minds. See, the blinders needed to be removed. Their eyes needed to be opened, their hearts needed to be softened to actually believe all of this stuff, all of the physical proof and, and all of the spiritual truth. And the, the reality is we cannot believe no amount of evidence of physical evidence or no amount of, of evidence of even scriptural evidence will ever convince us apart from God first working in us. This is why Paul writes in Romans 12 too, we need a renewing of our mind, we need the illumination of the Holy Spirit. Friends, Jesus came fulfilling the promise of the new covenant. And this is what Jesus ushers in. Listen to what Jeremiah the prophet, prophet says. Jeremiah 31, he says, I will put my law within them. I will write it on their heart. I will be their God and they shall be my people. 
God is teaching them and helping them to hear and to understand the truth, the very truth you're hearing this morning. Jesus rose from the dead. But here's the point. We must always remember that Scripture drives our faith, yet faith itself is a gift. Let me say that again. Scripture drives our faith, but faith itself is a gift. And so I ask you, many of you in this room come here week in and week out. You know the Scriptures. You know those things which are taught. You hear the preachers behind the pulpit declare these truths. But I ask you this morning, do you really believe them? Do you really believe that Jesus was God and man, that Jesus walked on the face of this earth and Jesus never sinned? Do you believe that Jesus went to a cross that he didn't deserve for sinners such as us? That our sin was cast upon him and his righteousness was given to us? Do you believe that? Do you believe that the dead Jesus who was buried for three days rose and defeated death and hell? Do you really believe that this morning? And if you do, understand that is a gift, a gift from God, a gift that your blinders have been removed, that your heart has been softened, and that you are truly a child of God. For no amount of energy, of effort to try to convince will ever do it. And this is why Jesus needs to say that, because Jesus is about to send his disciples on mission. Look what he says in verses 46 and 47. Thus it is written... That, they, that the Christ should suffer on the third day. He should rise from the dead and that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. Did you catch the end? That message is to be proclaimed, that message of forgiveness of sins, that message of who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do is a message that is to be declared to all nations. Jesus is saying his death, his resurrection, the power that it brings, the forgiveness of sins is a message for all nations. And so the disciples were being given this evidence so that they could be his witnesses. Look at verse 48. You are witnesses of these things. In fact, later he'll say, you are my witnesses. He's declaring that we have a job to do. The disciples there had a job to do. That Jesus' disciples would be witnessing and declaring the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection and the forgiveness of sins to all the nations. And friends, this is the same message I stand here preaching to you this morning. Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus lives. But where does the power come to convince? See, the disciples needed this encouragement in verse 49 because they knew they couldn't convince anyone if they couldn't convince themselves. In verse 49 it says, And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. But Jesus does not leave us to preach under our own power. For on our own we would be weak, we would be empty. But there is a power that comes from the Father the Apostle Paul knew about this power. He writes about it to the church of Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 1.5. He says, our gospel came to you not only in word, that's what Paul could do, but also in the Holy Spirit. That's something Paul could not work up himself. That's something God gives. Our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes, it comes with, he comes with power and he brings conviction. 
And notice Jesus said to the disciples, therefore stay until you get that power. Friends, we've been given that power through the Holy Spirit who speaks to us and through us. The same Holy Spirit is the one who convinces us to believe these things is the same Holy Spirit who empowers us to go and declare these things. And we have been called to be his witnesses. We have been called to declare the good news of Jesus Christ. I ask you this morning, are you leaning on your own strength to share the gospel or are you leaning upon the Holy Spirit's power to share the gospel? Every Sunday when I get done preaching, I shut my Bible, I go back and sit in the front and I just pray because I know I'm powerless to change men's hearts. And so are you. But the good news is God is powerful enough to change all of us. And that's what we look for. We look for the work and the power of the Holy Spirit who convinces men. Our job is to be his witnesses. Our job is to preach the truth. Our job is to declare the good news because the world is full of sin and it needs Jesus. The world is hungry for hope and Jesus is that hope. The world lives in fear and Jesus brings peace. Your job, church, is to be his witnesses in his power to declare the good news that has been revealed to you. Jesus made it clear. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes into the Father except through me. I ask you this morning, do you believe that? If you do, you have a responsibility to be his witness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we close our Bibles, as we step away from this text, help us to remember the responsibility to be on mission. That these good truths have been proven to us through the physical resurrection of Christ as well as the scriptures which declare this truth for us. But God, we need you to remove the blinders, to soften the hearts. And that begins with us. Lord, I pray for those who sit here and struggle with the reality of believing and resting in Christ alone. May they do that this morning. And I pray for those who know this truth, believe this truth, but are afraid to share this truth. May they understand the freedom that comes with the power of the Holy Spirit as he does the work of changing men's hearts. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. For more information, please visit us online at fpchurch.tv.